0: The following is a presentation of the Billy Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Billy Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, speed, agility, and balance. There was no weakness on the field. Actor, civil rights activist, and community leader. had to learn from his flaws this was jim brown you're behind the mic with michael Neal jr all right we're back finally i got some really stiff pieces of paper can you hear that (laughs) i know nfl historians and lovers of sports history welcome this show is for you guys and gals it's cool again we always tell you if you already know this stuff congratulations cookies for everybody but not really uh there's always someone else who doesn't this show is for those who don't know as much about nfl history and so what am i here to do i am here to enlighten teach and learn it is the behind the mic podcast i am your host michael neal jr this show is presented by belly up sports also belly up media the belly up sports podcast network and go to our website bellyupsports.com check it out click on it read the stories listen to all the shows especially this one and also you can find us on our home of megaphone all right you can spell that right Uh, also the favorites Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Don't be, um, hopefully I'm not being, uh, what's the word I need to use? I don't want to be, lying. I'm not on YouTube yet. <laughs> Let me just say it, I'm not on YouTube yet. I've been telling you guys, I'm going to get on YouTube, going to get on YouTube eventually, one of these days. All right, all right, we've missed a whole week, okay? It was MIA, we're back. In my opinion, the greatest running back to me has always been Barry Sanders. I've never seen anyone run like that. I mean, Reggie Bush came really close, but I've never seen anybody run the football like Barry Sanders did. Uh, But all emotions and sentiments aside, (laughs) after really looking at Jim Brown and really looking at Jim Brown, this guy was the greatest running back to ever play the game. He was. Uh, I like what Ray Lewis said on... Jim Brown's A Football Life. It was presented by NFL Network. All of the traits of the greatest running backs in the history of the league after Jim Brown, he had all of those traits. Some of them had, you know, the the ability to run over you and to be tough. Those that can run around you. Those that, that had speed. Those who had some great balance. He had all of that. That was Jim Brown. Only thing is he only played nine years. And that's the, that you can't let that be the determining factor of, you know, Emma Emmitt Smith played, you know, double digit years. He played, what, how long? What, 15, 16 years in the league or something like that. He played a long time. I don't remember the exact number. And he is the NFL's all time lead in Russia. We understand that before that it was Walter, but it was, jim brown's record that they had to break he ran for over twelve thousand yards in only nine seasons and remember they were only playing 12 games 14 games at one point okay so they weren't playing the 16 game regular season that you seen before they started you know adding on the extra the 17th game this past year right but I mean, he he was he was, if you really look at it, you sit back and you really think about it, this guy probably was the greatest running back of all time. I still am partial to Barry Sanders because of the way that he did things, but Jim Brown was he was the man. <laughs> he was the man. Again, you know, Emmett, he was the all-time leader and all that, but um that was, you know, and he was one of the few, Emmett Smith was one of the few, and I'll talk about him at one point um that was all everything in high school all everything in college as well as all everything in the nfl that played all those years and then finished at the top of the game and even emmett has said that jim brown is one walter is two and he says i'm three (laughs) i mean i i I give respect to all of them but look um like i said i've always heard for years from old school guys you know to say that jim brown was the greatest running back of all time uh and the greatest Football player of all time. Now, some and many do still say Jerry Rice, but you know, numbers can't lie. Jim's uh Brown's case, those numbers simply don't. What that guy did was just absolutely ridiculous. And he was ahead of his time. He was bigger, faster, and stronger. The same little line of words we like to use. When we talk about players uh than anybody else that he played with on the field. He was 6'2, 232 pounds. Play. He could have played in any era, all right, any era. He was at running back with actual speed as well as size. Agility, he could jump over you like you see these players do these days. You know they, yeah, Well, nobody did that, but well, he could do it, and i seen him do it. Just turn on the film. The Bible, if you believe in the Bible, and I do, <laughs> there's nothing new under the sun, and Jim Brown did that. So I'm just saying. Uh, and the quote from my favorite book, America's Game, Speed, strength grace and a determined mindset the nfl had ha, or has had never seen anything quite like jim brown before or since but it almost didn't happen kick the music syracuse university he went to syracuse without a scholarship even though in high school he lettered in football basketball baseball and lacrosse he averaged almost 15 yards per carry 15 yards per carry. (laughs) That's a lot. You know, and he was the only black player on the freshman football team. And Jim Brown nearly quit during his freshman season. He was the only African American, but he was relegated to the bench. So they thought that there were some people that was better than he was. And Brown was like, I know I'm the best running back. And this is ridiculous. And I'm rolling out. Well, you know, it took his high school superintendent to convince him to stay on the team and ride the whole thing out, which he did. But that's not all. He actually was, wasn't offered a scholarship, right? But a Long Island man named Ken Malloy raised money to send him to school. Uh, and then the Syracuse coaches that were there at the time, they were still hesitant to even allow him on the school grounds to allow him to attend the school and play on the team. But it came with a stipulation. And remember the times in which he was living. Okay, this is 1953. You can't date white women. Hmm, Isn't that interesting? (laughs) I mean, it it sounds ridiculous, right? But that that was the mindset of people in that day. Now, by the time Jim Brown was done at Syracuse, he finished his career four-sports star, football, baseball, basketball, and lacrosse teams. Oh, and he also ran a little track from time to time when they needed him to. I read an article, and I got some stuff from uh, Chris Carlson, on syracuse.com about he would go from one sport to another on the same day at times we talk about dion and dion did a great thing too uh, you know playing uh in the world series and playing in an nfl game in the same day and that almost took him out so you, you can't really you know but it was still amazing for him to do this even in college former syracuse teammate and quarterback chuck zimmerman talked about how they would be at and i'm a quote at spring practice running plays or he'd have a lacrosse game and the coach would call him and say i have a track meet in the lower field he would go up take his pads off run two or three events and then go and finish the lacrosse game which was i like to quote him unbelievable and he's noted as being the greatest lacrosse player of all time by the way and the rules are actually changed because of him but he also played basketball his sophomore and junior years check this out and this is kind of a rerun from one of my old shows the crossover that i did last year and this was according to orangehoops.org syracuse you know sports so brown would not return for his senior season however because he was not permitted to be a starter yeah that's ridiculous right an unwritten rule at Syracuse prohibited the team from starting three black athletes in basketball. And the Syrac- and Syracuse had Vinnie Cohen and Manny Breland. Those were the other two African Americans on the team. They were also on the team. Cohen believed Syracuse would have won the national title in basketball in 1957 if Brown had played with them. As it was, they lost in the Elite 8. He was also considered oh well, well yeah wherever I, I said that about him being the cross the lacrosse player uh the greatest lacrosse player but he also participated like I said from the, well with the track team uh from time to time and that being uh from that website so repeating myself a little bit sorry about that but um I mean it was it was just amazing and, and the stuff that he had to endure um and I get to <laughs> get to the, the later stuff here in the second but in his final regular season game in football his senior year jim brown accounted for 47 points he was responsible for six touchdowns and he kicked seven extra points in a 61 to 7 win against colgate and that was actually 43 points not 47 that he was responsible for um, good lord <laughs> and the running back to finish fifth in the heisman trophy voting he would later compete in the lacrosse game and track meet on the same day in which the Orangemen won both of those. As, I mean, as an athlete at Syracuse, I mean, his time was a little strange, but the guy was great. He established himself as the greatest athlete to come out of that school. Period, point blank. Well, then it came town from those Cleveland Browns, right? Paul Brown had been head coach GM and part owner of the team, which he should have been the full owner. I don't know why they even brought anybody in, but truth be told, thank God that they didn't because I think things would have worked out a little bit differently in the latter years. So, uh, but he had been, you know, that all of those names on his desk for the team that bared his name since 1946. And during a 10 year span, Between the AAFC and the NFL, the Brown teams that he had, (laughs) it was in the championship every single year. They won seven titles, including five straight and one point. In 1956, his future Hall of Fame quarterback, Otto Graham, he retired. And in season number 11, coaching the Browns, his team suffered their first sub 500 season and they finished five and seven. Cleveland Browns ended up with the sixth overall pick in the 1957 NFL draft. Via coin flip between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Green Bay Packers due to the fact that all three teams, the Browns included, had the same record. Now just to be clear I had to correct myself I caught something that I said last year I believe it was uh, if you ever listened to one of my older episodes I made the mistake of saying that Jim Brown was the ninth overall pick of the 1957 NFL draft. When I catch my mistakes I try to make up for those mistakes and correct them uh, if I could go back and retroactively go back in time and do it, I would. I try to catch and, and be as meticulous as possible. I'm human. Sorry about that, but he was the sixth overall pick, not the ninth, okay, of the 57 draft. I misspoke, and that was the episode called What If? So if you listen to What If? Please hear me now. But before, he was the head coach of the San Diego Chargers of the AFL, Sid Gilman, was the head man with the Los Angeles Rams. He wanted Jim Brown. He wanted him at running back. But the LA ownership wanted local running back out of USC, John Arnett. That's that's what they wanted. Uh, Green Bay actually had the first pick as well and selected Paul Horning, future Hall of Famer from Notre Dame, and then wide receiver Ron Kramer later on in the first round. Of course, Paul Brown wanted a quarterback at the time. He was eyeballing both John Brody and Lynn Dawson out of Stanford and Purdue, respectively. They ended up with San Francisco and Pittsburgh, respectively. So Cleveland selected Jim Brown. We had to settle for Jim Brown with the sixth overall pick. The 57 draft ended up with nine future Hall of Famers in total, four of which were selected in the first eight picks. If anything told you how good that Jim Brown was going to be, it would have been week nine against those LA Rams. And Sid Gilman had to have been telling them after the game, I told you. Didn't I tell you we should have selected this guy? And this dude ran for a then NFL record, Jim Brown did, 237 yards. Not only did he finish the season winning rookie of the year, he was the NFL's MVP. Sid Gilman knew, but the ownership said, nah, we want this guy that's been playing in our backyard. Yeah, All right, there you go. Brown was an All-Pro nine, all nine 9 years of his career, and the only time he didn't make first-team All-Pro was in 1962, three-time NFL MVP, made the Pro Bowl every season. He led the league in rushing yards eight times, eight rushing titles in his nine years, and led the league in rushing touchdowns five times. And finally, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, class of 1971, helped the Browns reach the NFL title game three times, and they won it all in 1964. But there's a story in um, in uh, the NFL uh, NFL networks. You know, Football Life, Jim Brown's a Football Life. The new owner, uh, Art Modell, he made the announcement. Uh, I think it was in in, in 19, well, it was in 1963 that Paul Brown would no longer be the head coach, general manager, or anything. Okay, uh, they hired Blanton Collier. As the new head coach in the next year in 1964 they won it all they beat the baltimore colts who were favored once again uh 27 to nothing it was nothing nothing at halftime and then uh brown has a 40-yard run and it ignites a 27 to nothing you know 27 straight points so and that that ended the game and but that wasn't the, the part that really got me what got me is that the band if you, if you ever know about the baltimore colts in, in that in those days they actually had a band uh the famous band the the, the colt Corral, something like that they went to the browns locker room and played taps who's familiar with taps raise your hand yeah i am so taps you know that's the song with the uh, dun, dun, dun. that's the one that they play when in the military at funerals and when they're trying to wake you up i mean it's it's time it's time to go to bed or whatever uh they don't play that the one i ain't talking about the one when they tell you to get up but i'm talking about the one they play at the funerals they played that at halftime that was a bad idea very bad idea that meant lights out you know so you know Bad idea. Of course, that would be the final championship that Cleveland would win until 2016. You know, I'm talking about as a professional franchise in the city of Cleveland until LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers won it all in the NBA Finals in 2016. But keeping in mind, though, again, through all of the feats that he did, when Brown first got to the league, they only played 12 games. And after his first four seasons, they had switched to 14 games, what I was telling you earlier. And this guy was running for 15, 14, and 1,600 yards. And he never missed a game. Never missed one game. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of an NFL MVP retiring the following year? Yeah. That happened. In 1965, he led the league in rushing yards. Jim Brown did with 1,544 and a league leading 17 rushing touchdowns. He also won his last MVP that season. He would retire at age 30 to pursue acting. The story itself is really interesting. He was on the set of The Dirty Dozen. Everybody that keeps up with this, they should know this story. He was on the set of shooting that that war movie, The Dirty Dozen, Um, and beforehand, he was heading into the final year of a two year, $60,000 deal with the Browns. Now, 1964, Brown had made his debut in his first film called Rio Conchos. And after showing up for an episode uh, of, was it Peace in 1965? uh, uh, 1965, it was a a show called uh, Valentine's Day, excuse me, and also I Spy. If You're familiar with that. In 1967, he was shooting his first feature film, The Dirty Dozen. Filming clashed with training camp art modell was fining him 100 bucks a day it's like look jim i need you here bro you know you need to get to work this is your job and jim brown decided you know he was not going to be defined by football and as he had said from his own lips he had accomplished everything that he could during his playing time so what did he do he writes a letter to the cleveland owner letting him know that he would be retiring July 1966, he made the announcement from the movie set. Clearly, there's more to life than football. And then since his retirement, he has been in 44 movies, 17 of which Jim Brown was the lead role. He played the lead. That's pretty impressive. Um, When Jim Brown retired, he was the NFL's all-time leading rusher with 12,313 yards. That record stood until 1984, of course, when Chicago Bears running back. Walter Payton passed him, and, of course, Smith would pass him after that. Um, And this another note. It was just real interesting, uh, his next venture, uh, you know, going into Hollywood. For me, I mean, I knew Jim Brown as a football player, but uh, I remember him as a kid. The first movie I remember seeing him in was The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was one of the bad guys. Fireball, fireball, you know. Schwarzenegger he's getting put through a game show that kills people and uh, Fireball is one of those guys it's like <laughs> yeah I mean it, it was great I, I love I might watch that movie when I get, get done with this show but uh, he played in what he got game any given Sunday draft day my personal favorite though was I'm gonna get you Sucker. yeah what makes you think you could be a black hero <laughs> I'm an ex-football player. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. That was a great line. But one thing that he did uh, that I did not know, um, so if anyone's familiar with the the movie from 1969, 100 Rifles, Raquel Welch, yes. She was a tall, beautiful woman. Uh, And then also Jim Brown and Burt Reynolds, they were all starring in this movie. And it was the first time on screen that a black man and a white woman had a love scene so that actually broke a lot of barriers and started is you know as you're going into the 70s then you start seeing you know some stuff happen more and more and people are more comfortable with seeing it on screen and we're, we're coming out of uh or that we were starting to come we were in the middle of the civil rights movement and still going through stuff in the 70s as well but you're seeing some bar- barriers starting to be broken down, uh, and that was one of the things that he did. He was he was the first one. He was the first actor. It wasn't Sidney Poitier or Harry Belafonte. It was Jim Brown. Um, and so, it's, speaking of civil rights activism, I read a lot of things where he did going forward uh, when it told when it came to social activism and civil rights in the 60s and 70s and beyond, and the stuff that I read pointed to back what he went through when he was a student at Syracuse, an athlete at Syracuse the relationship that he had with Paul Brown was interesting and while Paul Brown was the head coach uh, in reading uh, one another one of my favorite books that was, you know, it's called Paul Brown but um, there was a little bit of division in the locker room between the black players and the white players uh, Paul Brown didn't like that you know, he wasn't a guy that was trying to keep people separate he wanted everybody to be as a unit but look i mean the times were what the times were yeah he was a very integral part in reintegrating pro football as he brought in marion motley and bill willis um but the thing was you know he was jim brown basically let him know he didn't like that kind of division but jim brown he let him know that it doesn't make sense for african-american players to be treated differently than their white counterparts And this is obviously this is what's happening right there in your face. You've got it was the times that they were living in. Okay, you had a relationship between Brown and Bobby Mitchell. uh, And the fact that Bobby Mitchell was a key player that was traded to the Washington football team at the time uh, where every team had integrated except for Washington. That was because their racist owner, George Preston Marshall. Yet, I mean, I understand that Bobby Mitchell had a fumbling problem or whatever, but he's a Hall of Famer. You trade them away, okay, and they draft Ernie Davis. That didn't work out because Ernie Davis passes away. Um, but uh, the African Americans, that what they were going through, and uh, the Jim Crow segregation, the prejudice. Jim Brown was not going to be quiet or just go with the flow. Um, and he was determined to be treated fairly like any other human be- being. I mean, it, it is what it, um, it is. What it is, and it was what it was. Jim Brown was a guy that did speak up and he wasn't a guy that Paul Brown, like all of his other players, because it was a militaristic, I've talked about this before, the militaristic mindset of head coaches of the day. They came out of World War I and World War II and everybody you do what I say and don't question anything. That was Paul Brown, but Jim Brown, you couldn't talk to him like that. And then when it came to the stuff that he had went through in Syracuse and you know going through still while he was in pro football, obviously after nine years during his nine years and after his nine years stuff didn't stop happening he was still black so you know, he, he he went into stuff full force um again the times that they were living uh they weren't exactly exactly equal rights players were having to stay at different hotels and crap like that they were treated a little differently on the field getting extracurriculars both physically and verbally so jim brown you know he, he wasn't going to stand for it, but I mean, he retired. Um, and he was definitely after his retirement, yes, he was doing movies, but he was at the forefront of the civil rights movement. One of those many that was doing things at the time. The best example of how uh he was trying to you know help people to band together was with Muhammad Ali, of course. Muhammad Ali, he was drafted, didn't want to go, he was going to go to jail. Um, and then they had the Cleveland Summit, in which Brown had some of the biggest and best athletes of the time, like Bill Russell and the UCLA's Luau Sender, of course, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. But also, and I'm going to quote from Anscape.com, all right? Sid Williams and Walter Beach of the Cleveland Browns. Curtis McClinton of the Kansas City Chiefs, Bobby Mitchell and Jim Shorter of the Washington Redskins at the time, excuse the term, and Willie Davis of the Green Bay Packers. Also present was Carl Stokes, Stokes, a prominent attorney in Cleveland who would be elected the first black mayor of a major American city that November. And then not to forget the American that he founded in 1988. Ken the guy wasn't perfect, you know. He he went to jail, you know, for putting his hands on women. Um, he wasn't a perfect guy. He was flawed, and he wasn't exactly uh, what you say apologetic totally for it. But then at the same time, in his later years, you know, he realized what he was doing, and then he knew what he had done. He said he was out of anger, but it was still wrong. Domestic violence, man, you can't do that. Um, but with through the American, he. It was a community outreach program that Brown started to reach out and help those in the community, right? You had the gang members thing where he was inviting them to his house, the Crips and the Bloods. Uh, Like, you are gonna come to my house, we're gonna talk about this stuff. Why are you killing each other over colors? You know, because you had the height of gang violence going on in the late 80s and the early 90s. Um, And not to mention, you know, what uh, black people were going through, period. And he was trying to reach out and help those who were in trouble and and doing things that were obviously wrong whether they were men or or women to get them to do better it's still being run by his wife that, to this day his widow Monique Brown uh, and you know, he's trying to show them that there was a better way at this thing called called life um, and like I said Monique Brown his, his, his widow simultaneously helping young women um, and as his wife Monique has said it's a nationwide program. It wasn't just in there in, in the inner city of California, but uh, they was trying to spread and push this stuff in schools. They are in juvenile detention centers, jails, anywhere that they can make a positive influence on someone's life. And it has worked. you got some of those guys that were on a football life that come out of being in gangs. They put laid them guns down, took off those colors, and they got real jobs even when they came out of jail, the one guy, I can't remember his name. God, I should have got his name. But he's a production assistant, you know, on a movie set and stuff like that. You know, you got a chance to do something better. And that was the life and legacy of Jim Brown. Of course, we lost Jim back on May 18th. Um, and I knew then, because I was supposed to be taking a break and taking a little small vacay, uh, but I did prepare for this show because of it. And I knew that's what I was going to do. He died at the age of 87 at his home. Um, And he was a great man. Yes, he was a great athlete. He was a pro football Hall of Famer. Um, Jim Brown's the only individual selected into the College Football Hall of Fame, which was in 1995, and the Lacrosse Hall of Fame in 1984. Not to mention, you know, being that uh, 71 Hall of Fame class in the NFL. Uh, But he did a lot of great things past football. He didn't have to stick with football even though that was one of those things that did define him it wasn't everything that defined him he was flawed but he got those things together and he was reaching out especially during the last half of his life to make things better for a lot of people so uh jim brown this one was for you rest easy references thanks to profootballreference.com also profootballhalloffame.com OrangeHoops.org, also Syracuse.com. This was written by Chris Carlson. Jim Brown, a flawed hero, made his case as the greatest athlete who ever lived. While at Syracuse, also andscape.com. This one written by. Please forgive me if I say your name wrong, Jonathan Ing. That's E I G. And this was called the Cleveland Summit and the Muhammad. Excuse me, the Cleveland Summit and Muhammad Ali, the true story. Also, the books, Paul Brown: The Rise, Fall, and Rise Again of Football's Most Innovative Coach, written by Arthur O'Toole, and also my favorite book, America's Falling Apart. I got to buy another one just to have it. <laughs> America's Game: The NFL at 100, co-written by Jerry Rice and Randy o. Williams, and also television-wise nfl networks a football life jim brown this has been the behind the mic podcast presented by billy of sports i'm your host michael neal jr and this show again billyofsports.com billy of sports podcast network billy up media you catch us on our home base of megaphone apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, amazon music stitcher iHeartRadio, and youtube tell all your friends and family about my show i will Knock on your door. That means I have found your house. I'm out.